Afro-Latinas and money. That is the focus of this very important conversation today with Ana Anjay Conte. Yes, you are here. Bienvenida to the Her Dinero Matters podcast, a mixed language podcast hosted by me, Jen Hemphill, to help you become the reign of your money and love your dinero more. If you are needing some inspiration and encouragement at this very moment, you have come to the right place. Gracias por compartir este tiempo conmigo. Now let's jump in to today's dose of money confidence. Hola, hola. Qué emoción de tenerte aquí conmigo. This is Jen Hempel, your host. And oh my goodness, so much excitement today. For one, remember last week I said to keep your ears open. I might have said peeled, but I don't think that's the right thing, right? <laughs> and I asked you just to keep your ears open for a very important announcement. So if you were here last week, you heard that. Well, stay to the end to hear what it is and how you can be amongst the first to be informed and grab your spot. And reason number two for the excitement is today's guest. She is amazing. Let me tell you a little bit about Anna and Jay Conte. She is a passionate believer in the empowerment of women and minorities in America. She is the founder of Dare to Dream Financial Planning, a fee-only virtual financial planning firm that serves the needs of 30, 40-year-old something women of color who want to live boldly and make a lasting impact on their family tree. She is also the host of the First Gen Realness podcast, where she engages in conversations with her fellow first-generation Americans about the the unique challenges they face. Ana is a proud Afro-Latina wife and mom to three daughters. In this episode, you're going to learn the struggles of worth in her upbringing and the lessons learned, as well as women of color in their financial progress and the difference between Afro-Latinas and Black women money conversations. Lista? Vamos a conocer this reina of her money. Bienvenida, Ana, to the Her Dinero Matters podcast. I'm so thrilled that we connected and that we are here talking today. Me too, Jen. Thanks so much for having me. I'm really excited. Yeah, so let's start with your money story, Ana. Tell us, let's go back in time to your childhood or maybe the teen years and tell us, what did you see? What did you hear? What are some memories, maybe an experience that you had with money? Yeah, my memories around money are very strong. You know, I don't come from a family that has much money, especially my mom's side, my Latina side, my Puerto Rican side. They're very humble beginnings. And, you know, my mom grew up super poor, like government assistance, all of that. So for me, money was always like a source of anxiety. And there was always so much stress around money. And even though my family, my mom and my titi, my mom's only sister, they were able to built a good amount of security for themselves. Like they both had good jobs and my titi was very good with money and like saved money, but they still had that underlying like anxiety around money and stress. And then also money was for rich people. Esas son cosas de rico, you know, that was it. And that was constantly drove in my head. 
you know, I never had a good relationship with money. And for until I started to work on that, I didn't make any traction with my finances either. Like it was always like I was just doing things to get rid of it, basically, whether I realized it or not. That was huge for me. Oh my goodness. I had that same experience and I didn't realize it until I was year 10 of our marriage. And I'm sitting here wondering, I'm supposed to be this money smart person because people look to me for financial advice. I was going through the accreditation for becoming a financial counselor Mm -hmm. and we were still in debt. We were depleting our emergency funds. We were borrowing for our retirement. I felt all the shame and guilt around what was I doing wrong? And it came to be that what was in my brain. So I'm so glad you brought it up. Totally. And it's like, it's something I still work on and I work on it with clients too, but you still unpack it, even though you realize it, you might be expressing that or like acting on that in ways you don't even realize, even though you're aware of it and it takes continuous work and time to face it. But I had a lot of struggles around like feeling like I was worth having a lot of money. Like anytime I would reach a certain level of bank account balance, I'd be like, oh, wow. Oh, quien se cree esta? You know? <laughs> For having more than your family. Exactly. Totally. Major guilt. My prima doesn't have any money or my sister doesn't have as much money as I do. So I should be helping them. Like I'm being selfish. I'm not being thoughtful. All of those things. It's a lot to unpack. There's so many like strong feelings around money. And I wish there was a way to just get rid of it. Like you said, wait, it's something that I wish yeah. it was like a one and done solution, uh-huh. but it isn't. It's just no. something you continuously work with. I find myself that I make headway and then sometimes it's like taking some steps back. Something happens mm-hmm. and I allow myself to be derailed. Maybe it was just a, a weak moment or a terrible day or whatever. And then it's like getting up. It's like not going to the gym for a while. <laughs> And maybe you're in a habit of going to the gym and making the, you know, those healthy decisions. And then something happens, you stop, you're derailed, and it's just so much harder to get back up and at it again, right? That's what I found. Okay, so you experienced a lot in terms of anxiety and anxiety and stress. And you mentioned that el dinero es para los ricos. Would you say that were there any other money conversations where they sat you down and talked to you about money? Or was it just what you heard them say in terms of dineros para los ricos, things of that sort? You know, my mom and I were very close. So I have two sisters, but I'm the youngest by far. And so like my older sisters were already grown and out of the house when I was growing up. And so it was like me and my mom were together all the time. Like she was the one that dropped me off at school, picked me up, even though my dad was around, but he worked longer hours. So my mom was the one that really was with me most of the time. And I would say she talked to me a lot about her anxiety and stress. Like, oh, it's just money, like whatever. She never sat me down to talk to me about how to manage money. I mentioned my Tite Maria. She was much more financially stable. And it's funny because like two sisters can turn out so different. And I grew up with my Titi and my Tio. And I remember my Tio telling me a lot, like, if I don't have money to pay for it, I'm not buying it. And like, you know, you have to manage your money. Like debt is bad. They would talk to me about all these things, but they never sat me down and like talk to me about how to manage money, how to handle money. Like when you first get your first paycheck, like this is what you need to do. You know, I remember my Titi taking me to make her last mortgage payment and she was so thrilled, right? Like she was pumped. And I remember like thinking that's a good thing, but like 
there was never any discussion about like how to get from point A to point B. Like, so I knew that was vaguely like something I should do. Like, don't get into credit card debt or, you know, pay off your debts when you have them. Or if you don't have the money for it, don't buy it. But I never had like the practical everyday skills. So I would try to get there. Like I would try to save money, but I didn't understand how to do it in a way that would be sustainable. Right. So let's fast forward to adulthood. You experienced that anxiety and stress and that dinero was for the ricos. Also, you said your Titi Maria talked to you about money, but not the practicality part, just Mm -hmm. like don't get into debt or Mm -hmm. if you don't have the money, don't buy it. What happened? Let's fast forward to an adult when you maybe got out of school. Tell us what happened next. I graduated in the middle of the Great Recession, so things were not great. And I got a super, I just took whatever job I could get. And I wasn't making much money. I think I was making like $30,000 a year, like not a lot. And I lived in New York at the time, so you can imagine that's not a lot of money. And I had my student loans coming due and I had to, you know, pay for my expenses. And I wanted to help my mom because I was living with her. And it just was very overwhelming. And I ended up running up credit card debt. And I didn't really realize that people dealt with money differently until, so I met my husband shortly after I graduated college, just by chance. And he was a little bit older and he was had a different perspective on money than I did. And that was the first time I really realized that like people handle different money differently than I did. And I was very money focused. Like I wanted to be financially secure. I wanted to have assets because I saw like the difference, what happens when you don't. But I just was like spinning my wheels all the time. And he had a much more, and he's still like, he's a Taurus. He's like very steady personality. So he was like, Hey, like don't trip. Like there's a season for everything. You know, right now we don't have that much money, but we're going to pay off the car. And then after that, we're going to do these other things. And until I really was working with somebody else that I feel like had a different money belief, I just didn't get it. But to be honest, I was about two years out of college and I got my first job in the financial services industry. And it took me probably another three years after that to really get a handle on like my money story and my money behaviors and some dysfunctional things I was doing with money because I was swinging from, I want to pay off all my debt like next week, or I got to save. And if I save, I have to max out my 401k. Like I can't just like do little by little. I was like all or nothing. And then I was swinging from like saving and paying off debt. And I had this intention, but like I said, I just didn't have an idea of how to get there. And I was getting in my own way with my behavior. Interesting. I love that you bring up, you were getting in your own way with your behavior because that's a lot of what all of us does, but we're not aware of that because we're so focused on, we need to save, we need to get out of debt, we need to make more money, or we need to spend less, right? We're focused on those things that we're taught to do or that we hear over and over and over, but we don't hear, let's just look at our behavior. Let us look at our money story. We may hear like we need to change our behavior in terms of stop buying the lattes, but we're not taught to why are we buy on those lattes? right? Is it because it's something we value? Or is it a sense of comfort? Is it what is it? We don't go beyond that. And I think that's important. I'm glad that you brought that up. Because that's something that I hone in that we need to really be aware of why, why is it? And that's one of the reasons I do this podcast, because it's something that I also need. I struggle with this too. I have to continuously work on those thoughts that 
come to my brain and just reframing them. And it's like you mentioned, it's not a one and done. Unfortunately, no. I so wish it was. Me it would too. make life easier. <laughs> Me too. Like, yes, I've graduated past this and now I have no issues. Like that right. would be really nice. If somebody can figure out how to do that, I'll be the first one to sign up. <laughs> it would take some permanent brain reprogramming. Is that possible? Yeah. I mean, like I said, sign me up whenever whenever it comes up. I'm a big fan of like the personal development space and it's the same thing, right? Like you work on your mindset, you work on cleaning up your thoughts and like reframing your perspective and taking ownership of what you're doing. But like, it's a continuous process. And so like, I'm different than I was a month ago and 10 years ago, but I'm still a work in progress and the money is different. Oh, we all are. We all are. Now, you mentioned the financial services industry. How did you get into that? Yeah, I fell into it like really by accident. I mean, I believe in like fate and all that, but I had no idea where I was going. I didn't even know this was a profession. Like I said, like my family is not rich and they never had a financial advisor. So I never knew that this was something that people did or people like me did. I always thought it was like old white guys that do this kind of thing. And well, it was. I mean, it still really is. It really is. Yeah. Yeah. True story. Uh, <laughs> but the thing is about it is that I graduated college in 2009 and then I was taking any job I could get. So I got a job because I speak Spanish. I got a job doing events for people that wanted to do business in Latin America. So I organized an event around wealth management and then talking to the people that were helping me plan the conference, I was like, this sounds kind of cool. Like, this sounds like something I'd be good at. Like, I was always good at numbers. I like talking to people. I'm like very extroverted. I like problem solving, like all of that. And so I ended up after a year there, I ended up leaving and getting started in finance. I love it. And now you do it as your own business. So you're a certified financial planner. And if someone wants to work with you, what do you do and what do you not do? Because some financial planners do it all. Like they do help you do the budget. They help you pay off debt. And in addition to that, doing the long-term retirement planning. So as you, Anna, what do you focus on? Like, what do you do and what do you not do? I work primarily with women of color, people of color. Some of them are married, some are not. And they're usually in their 30s and 40s. Actually, that's all of my clients are in their 30s and 40s. And I work with them because of their age. I'm not doing as much retirement planning, although that is part of what I do. I'm really focused on cash flow management, getting themselves like a really solid financial foundation. And because this is the age where we might be earning enough money to be able to save more and make more of an impact. We probably have kids or we're getting married or we're buying a house. And there's a lot of decisions. And I really like to focus on optimizing the decisions that are coming really rapid fire in this age range to make sure that people are set up in that solid financial foundation. So I don't advise on asset allocation and investments, but investment management and retirement planning like really take a backseat to what I'm doing. You know, I'm really working with like younger people, and that's just a natural result of that because. They have 20, 30 years to retirement. They're not really that worried about all of that, buying long-term care insurance and all that kind of stuff. Right. Well, it's good to know just because like, I always notice financial planners, they it's just their focus is different for yeah. every single one. <laughs> so it's um, interesting. Before we continue, I have a quick message for you. 
Herdinetto Matters is supported by First Republic Bank. Whether your goal this year is to buy a home, start a family, or start a business, First Republic is prepared to support your financial goals with extraordinary service. From day one, your dedicated First Republic banker will be in your corner. Focus on understanding you and your needs. Together, you'll design the financial solution that best fits your personal and professional goals. And as your needs evolve, you can always call or message your dedicated banker directly from their mobile app for anything that comes up along the way. Learn more at firstrepublic.com. That's firstrepublic.com. Member FDIC Equal Housing Lender. Now, I'm curious as a woman of color, what is the progress that is happening in terms of finance and its investments? Because we see like the statistics show that in general, the women of color don't invest as much. But what is happening? I like to be optimistic. Yeah, because I have seen things changing. And I love it. I see a ton of people of color in the personal finance space that has grown and leaders that are serving the community and everything. So I'm just curious, what progress do you see happening yeah. for women of color and when it relates to money? Yeah, that's such a good question. I think we're at the very early stages. I think that as Latinos, as Black people, as first-generation Americans also, as we are seeing that like the government doesn't have our back and the American dream is a little bit harder for us or a lot harder, depending on who you ask and and where they are. We are realizing that we have to be more self-sufficient. And I think for a while this has manifested as like entrepreneurship, like people doing side hustles or starting businesses or whatever it may be, whether that be their full time or on the side. I think they were really focused on earning that extra income as a way to achieve financial independence and to build financial security for themselves. I think the conversation is shifting though, to be a little bit more nuanced. So yeah. Before we jump into today's content, keep your ears peeled for a unique reveal I'll be sharing midway through the show. It's something special just for you. We know self-employed people tend to have more wealth than people who work W-2 income. Self-employment can be an amazing wealth creation tool because there's no real limit to what you earn. It's only how much time you have to work and your capacity. But I think now that we're starting to get a little bit beyond that conversation, we're looking at the investment side. And I see a lot of interest in the investment side, but because we traditionally either we have newer roots in America or our family is not wealthy, we don't have as much context in terms of understanding how to invest and what are the ways to go about it. And, you know, from my perspective, you know, I'm big on social media. There's a lot of like weird stuff happening on social media where people are like, oh, trade this, trade that. That stuff like icks me out. But I feel like the fact that it seems to be on the uptick tells me that people are interested. And there are a lot more people like you, Jen, that are doing podcasts like this or producing content and blogs that are from communities of color that are doing this. And that tells me that we're about to see, I feel like we're going to see like a huge growth, which makes me really happy because you and I both know like investing is the key to building wealth long-term. And for me, I feel like money are choices and the more Mm -hmm. money and wealth you have, the more choices and freedom you have in life. And I want that for us. 
I'm going to toot our horn. Like Latinos are amazing. I love us. I love us so much. I love black people so much. Like we're incredible and we're like vibrant and joyful and wonderful. And imagine us with money. Like, hello. <laughs> like we're the life of the party now. Imagine when we have some money. <laughs> You're so funny. That is so true. That is so true. What do you feel that women of color, Latinas or non-Latinas, because you're an Afro-Latina, what do you feel we, or I struggle saying we because of my skin tone, right? <laughs> Fine. My mom is the most Blanquita in the world. And she's so funny because like people were like, oh, this white woman is here. And then she busts out some Spanish and they're like, oh, what just happened? So don't worry. I got that in my household too. What do you feel are some areas... I- that we should focus on to continue that progress. You mentioned investing. What are some other areas that I think would be the area of focus that would move the needle faster or in a more impactful way? So I think I'm going to go back to mindset because I think mindset is everything. But I think moving beyond the monthly bills and the like, oh, what my monthly paycheck is so I can afford the payments, like that mentality, I think keeps a lot of us stuck. And I think because we're so often, we're just making it, we're doing okay, but like we're not rolling in dough. And so we don't have the capacity to think longer term. And I understand it. Like I've been there. I grew up in that environment where we're making it to next week or if we can think about past next month, that's great. I think thinking more long range. And even if you're not there right now, Having a vision for the long term is really crucial in terms of the vision for long term for your finances and making decisions now that are going to be really helpful for you 10 years on the line, 15 years just on the line. That's going to be crucial. I think that's huge. And I think also looking at investing beyond real estate. I think in our communities, like real estate is the thing that we focus on and real estate is good. Like it's good to have housing security and to have a good handle on your expenses because you have this fixed cost, this mortgage that's predictable, but real estate is not the be all end all. And it comes with a lot of hangups and it's a huge big ticket item. Yeah. It's a huge investment. You can't just take a brick out and cash it. No, you can't. That would be nice. Yes. Well, then your house would fall apart. (laughs) It's not as liquid as it needs to be. And there can be appreciation there, but it's just not going to be your ticket to financial freedom that we like to make it out to be. And I think if we get beyond that perspective and look at other ways to invest, so more liquid investments, I think that's going to be really crucial. I always wonder what the... uh, psychological thing is why we're, I don't know if we're targeted more in the Latino community or because in our Latin American countries, maybe it's more talked about. I'm always curious, why is it? Why do we end up doing more in real estate when investing? Or I don't have an answer. I'm just curious. Why is it? Is it because it's more easy to see the results Mm -hmm. of that investment because there was at a conference I was at, we got to sign up for this experience. It was called the Finex experience. And basically what we did was to get a better understanding of the unbanked or underbanked population. And it was a fascinating experience because you were giving this scenario and you were went out into the community of these areas where the pawn shops and all these things were, and you were giving ABC what you needed to do so you can really understand living in their shoes, Mm -hmm. what it's like. And something that really stood out 
for example, with the predatory lenders and why they're so quote unquote successful is that they're very clear as to what their services are. So it looks like if you're going to like example for a fast food place, they have a menu Mm -hmm. of what you can get. Mm -hmm. And when you go to a bank, it's not as easy to digest. So I'm wondering if the difference is that where an investment in real estate, is it because, okay, you can buy a home and then you can actually see it increase in value and it's easier versus investing in the market. It's, I'm wondering, I don't know. I think the the tangibility of it is huge, right? Like it's something that you can see and feel and it impacts you day to day. Whereas investing can feel a little bit more nebulous and like abstract and there's a higher hurdle to understanding. But I do also think that we come to the States and that's like uprooting, right? In and of itself. And so you come to America and you just want to like have some security and have some sense of stability. I think that that is really crucial. Like we put it on this pedestal because we've had to like leave everybody we know and everything we have and all that's familiar to come to a new place. And I also think that, yeah, like culturally people invest in real estate in overseas more than they do in the stock market. Like stock investing overseas, it's like in its baby phase in terms of it's not as easily accessible like it is in the US. It's different. Yeah. And when you say that, and you're right, because I had this conversation with my parents, they still won't come on the podcast. So my dad is a white man, he's a gringo, and my mom's Colombiana. And I had the conversation in terms of what their upbringing was, what their money stories, I was asking them those questions. And it was separately, because right now they're with the corona, my dad's in Colombia, my mom's uh, stuck here in the US. But they were one thing that really stood out to me and it reminded me how much about being military, just buying a house is not always feasible. And my mom was like, when are you going to establish those roots? The difference between my mom and my dad was he was brought up in a way that yes, invest and also the security was in like insurance, right? That was important for her. The security was putting those roots down in terms of a house. Yeah. Like that was like the really big thing. So maybe I'm wondering, who knows? I think that there might be something there. (laughs) Yeah, no, I think you're right. I think that's like the ultimate, I mean, it's part of the American narrative too. Like you get married, you have a cat, you buy a house, you have your kids and then that's it. But I think for communities of color, it's like that much more emphasized. Like, and if you are not buying a house or real estate, like you're crazy. Whereas I don't think it's necessarily like the be all end all, you know? You're right. Now let's talk a little bit about your experience as an Afro-Latina. And I'm curious, what. let's see where this takes us. Yeah. So what has been your experience as an Afro-Latina? And what, how do you think that differs from a woman of color or a Black American female when it comes to money? Do you think there's any difference there? Yeah, I do think so. I think because, you know, it's funny the identity stuff and the stories you're going to hear are going to be different, right? It's funny because I was even talking to my dad the other day. My dad's been in America since like the 1960s. He's been here for a long time, but he was just telling me the other day that he's just now starting to understand like how white people relate to black people. And I'm like, look at that. It took him 50 years. Um, (laughs) It literally took him 50 years to figure this stuff out. So from my perspective, even though I am black, like you look at me, I'm black and nobody in the street is going to think I'm not. 
I have a different experience with money and with everything in the culture besides like just dealing with other people. From my perspective, I think there was a lot of conversations and I don't know if the black community has this as much, but there were a lot of conversations about like me getting married. And my parents were very big on financial women being financially empowered. They like hammered on about it. And, you know, my mom is a survivor of domestic violence, like from previous marriage. So she was very big on this. Like you have to be able to stand on your own two feet because she saw what happened to her when she wasn't able to do that. And I got a lot of those narratives around marriage and picking the right husband. And I think that's more of a cultural thing because I don't think Americans emphasize marriage the same way Latinos do. And there was so much conversations about that. If like now I'm like, why were you guys talking to me about this so much? I was like 12. Like this is <laughs> and centered around like me, that setting me up for a good life. And so even though they wanted me to be financially independent, there was so much talk about that, that it was kind of a conflicting message. Like for me, it felt often like the man was going to make my life, even though I knew I had to study and be independent and have a good job and all of that. That is interesting because it's very similar with me, especially my mom. I consider her like a very strong feminist Mm -hmm. and she definitely really struck a chord to me in terms of always telling me I needed to be independent. And I think it was because her own experience of mi abuelita being left well, she was widowed and then everything was taken from them and mi abuelita didn't have an education. So she mm-hmm. became a semi-stress and she had three little kids that she mm-hmm. had to bring up and the struggles behind that. And so she felt it was very important for me as a female to become very, very independent comes my husband, which I didn't know at the time was going to be my husband. And then we decided we we're going to get married and my husband is a black man. Right. Mm-hmm. And I remember never in my life, it was about, will the man be able to take care of me? It was always, I needed to be able to be independent and stand up on my own feet. Right. Mm-hmm. But when all of a sudden the man who I was going to marry came in the picture and maybe it was because in a black American, there's that's for a whole other episode. <laughs> That all of a sudden it was, can he take care of you? I'm like, why does he need to take care? You know, care? You it, was, <laughs> it was interesting. It was interesting because I'm like, all of a sudden you've been telling me all my life, be a strong, independent woman. You need to have your own career, make your own money. And now you're worried about if a man can take care of me. So yeah, that was interesting. But that's yeah. for a whole other episode. Totally. That's really nuanced. And I'm I'm all about, you know, I have three daughters, so I'm very mindful of the way I talk to them about everything, but also in particular about money and their independence and their relationships to men. And my husband and I are very mindful of it too, because I received a lot of conflicting messages like that as a younger person. Mm-hmm. And now I see them and I see the flaws in them and I see the, in, the good intentions behind it. But it's very interesting to think about. It is. It's very interesting. I have two boys and I still watch what I say and do, but it's so interesting, even if in being mindful, what they pick up. Yeah. Because they still pick up on my flaws and insecurities. Uh, They can absolutely catch that as much as I work on (laughs) not showing that and just being mindful of those things. So it's interesting. Yeah. Parenting challenges. Always fun. That's a whole podcast series, not just an episode. 
<laughs> that is true. Oh my goodness. So much. This has been so much fun, Anna. I really appreciate you being on and everything that you shared today was so interesting. And thank you for everything that you do and your leadership. I appreciate that because we need more Latinas doing what we're doing. <laughs> yes, I agree. And I love to see, it makes me so happy to see Latinas talking about money because it's just so taboo. And I think we're trained to like depend on the man or the man manages the money or the man earns the money. And even if you're married, you should still have like that knowledge and have those conversations, have a good understanding. So I'm all about this message and getting that information out there. So I'm super excited to see you doing this and and to be here and talk with you. I absolutely love connecting with women like Anna. And this conversation with her was no exception. If you got a lot out of this conversation with her, go connect with her over on Twitter at NJ Conte. So I'll spell it out A-N-J-I-E-K-O-N-T-E. I'll have the link in the show notes and support her work. And I don't say that because when this episode comes out, it's Black History Month. Side note, Black History Month should be recognized all year long, but please don't get me started on that tangent. I say that it's because we need to uplift women of color, which includes our Afro-Latina sisters. As a white Latina, and I was going to say white passing, but honestly, in the past year, it just doesn't sit well with me. I am white I'm Latina. I'm white Latina. So that's what I'm going with. <laughs> and as a white Latina, that is what I do. I'm a big supporter of women of color, of people of color. As you know, as you have heard me in the past, especially if you know the dynamics of my family. And I encourage you that if you have privilege like me because of your lighter skin tone, I hope that you support them like I do. So that's enough about that. Again, you can connect with Anna on Twitter, and I will link her Twitter handle on today's show notes. Now, for the big announcement, you may or may not know, depending on how long you've been listening to this podcast, I was supposed to do or have my first live in-person event in September of 2020. But you and I know COVID happened, the pandemic happened. But because I'm blessed to have some great supporters, I will be having a virtual event coming up in March, which, oh my goodness, I'm so excited about. I can't wait to share all the details. It's called Financially Strong Latina. It is free and you do not, I'm telling you, you do not want to miss the details of when you can grab your spot. If you want to know ahead of time of everybody else, you can go to jenhemphill.com forward slash financially strong. That is jenhemphill.com forward slash financially strong. Again, it's free. This link is to get ahead in line to grab your spot. So if you don't want to miss the details and be the first in line, go to jenhemphill.com forward slash financially strong. Listen, I am not exaggerating when I say you do not want to miss this. Next week, we will be talking to Julie Alma Taveras, otherwise known as Investing Latina, who is literally taking the Instagram world up by storm. So don't miss that one. That is it 
Eso es todo. Thank you so much for taking time to tune into the show. I know you have a lot of podcasts to choose from, but you chose this one. And you know I am grateful. You can check out the show notes over at jenhempill.com forward slash 253 to refer back to everything you need to know from this show. Remember, being the reina of your money starts at this very moment. It starts right now simply by claiming it. I believe in you and so should you. If you love this podcast, love this episode, I would love it if you share it with someone you care about because you never know what exactly that person is going through. And the simple act of sharing can change the direction of their financial life for the better. Bueno pues, that is everything. Y nos hablaremos el próximo jueves. Chao.